following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. On the NFL, uh, they have this thing called the Red Zone. The Community Gospel, we have this thing called the Wiggle Zone. And so if you at any point in today's message need to stand and get your wiggles out, I'm talking to young and old, by all means, rise and you can go to the back and you can dance however you want. Because if David danced, you can dance too. I've never had anybody do it, but there's a first time for everything. If you would, open up your Bibles to Psalm chapter 67. It's where we're going to be at today. Psalm chapter 67. Bethany alluded to it a little bit, but we are breaking from our Deuteronomy series for just a week. We're actually going to do this every fifth Sunday. We're going to take just a pause uh, from uh, our series, and then we're going to look at a psalm. So every fifth Sunday this year, we're going to pause and look at a psalm. Today is going to be Psalm chapter 67. For those of you that don't know, the book of Psalms is a collection of lyrical poetry organized into five books or collections. And as we open up the Psalms, Psalms was originally called the Telium, which means praise songs. And in Hebrew, these lyrical poems were put to music and they were used for temple or corporate worship. So really, when you open up the book of Psalms, what you're holding in your hand is the Old Testament Israelites hymnal. And for us, we still have hymnals around today. For example, if you look in your front of your pew, you'll see a little blue book sitting next to a little brown book, and that is a hymnal. And yes, we still use those from time to time. If my wife had her way, we would use them every single week, and she would teach you how to read music. But that is another sermon for another day. Some psalms we know the authors of. For example, we know some psalms were written by Moses. Uh, Some psalms were written by David. Some psalms were written by a guy named Asaph and David's son Solomon. We realize there's a lot of other authors of the psalms, but those are pretty much the big hitters. Psalms spans thousands of years. If we look at the Psalms, we realize that it was written as far back as Moses in the Old Testament to the time of David and his son. So really, we have a good history of how God has been working and how he's been operating in the lives of his people and how are they communicating with him. Psalms is a vital book. It's not only the ancient hymnal of God's people But each psalm demonstrates to us today how to express emotion to God in any season of life. Some of us are very emotional people. Don't look left, don't look right, just keep looking forward and everything will be fine. But we realize that we don't know how to often use our emotion to honor and glorify the Lord. So psalms comes in and helps us in the seasons of life we find ourselves in. As we just sang, Psalms helps us to learn how to adore the Lord, give him thanks in word and deed, help us to be wise in a lot more things. Psalms is all about living a life in continual, constant worship. 
Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, I want you to offer up your bodies as living sacrifices. This is holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is what the psalm book does for us. It shows us how we praise God and how he wants his greatness to be affirmed and his faithfulness lived out in everyday life. If we hone in just a little bit and we look at Psalm chapter 67, it says in black, make your face shine upon us. And then the actual Hebrew in Psalm 67, it says to the choir master with stringed instruments, this is a psalm, a song. And so Psalm 67 kind of links to Psalm 66, And even though the author is unknown, both of those psalms, we realize the author is praying for God's mercy and blessing so that his ways would be known in his life. And then he calls the people to praise God for his righteousness so that they might enjoy his abundant gifts of grace, both past, present, and future. So the psalmist in Psalm 67 is looking to the Lord in his current season of life And he's praising God where he finds himself, and then he's asking the congregation to do the same. So wherever you're at this week, maybe you had a good week, maybe not so good week, maybe you're having a good time today, maybe not so good time today, we can still praise the Lord because God has chosen to bless all people. So God blesses all people, and let's look at the first two verses in Psalm 67 as we dig into God's word today. May God be gracious to us, and may he bless us, and make his face to shine upon us. When you're reading the Psalms, never forget that little word, Selah. That is an interesting word. We'll get to that in just a second, but we don't want to miss that. That's biblical text, just like the heading is. Verse 2, that your way may be known on the earth, and your saving power among all nations. The first way that God blesses all people is his face shines upon us. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, this specific verse is not new. There's plagiarism even back then. (laughs) These two verses come straight from what we call an Arionic blessing. An Arionic blessing is when Aaron blessed the people with his sons in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. You don't have to turn there, but it says, The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. What would happen is, essentially, Aaron and his sons, the priests, would get up and they would say this over the people to encourage their hearts. You could say this to yourself when you get up in the morning. You could say that the Lord make his face to shine upon me and be gracious to me. What's ultimately transpiring is an experience of God's favor. The first favor from God comes in the very first verse, in the very first part. It is God's grace. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all of our sins. Now the word in the ESV is not actually gracious, it is the word merciful. It really says, may God be merciful to us. So which one is it? Is it God's grace or is it God's mercy? Well, it's almost like holding a coin in your pocket. One side is grace, and the other side is mercy. The word gracious means that God shows favor, that he is kind and he is compassionate. And then merciful on the other side is the attitude of compassion 
that is grounded in God himself that was made manifest in the life and ministry of Christ. Every time you read the Old Testament text, you have to look at them with New Testament covenant eyes. You have to look at it as the whole story. We have the whole truth. We have an old promise and a new promise, an old covenant and a new covenant. And when we look at those together, we realize that grace is a gift we do not deserve. Well, mercy is not getting the punishment that we deserve. God shows us grace in giving us mercy. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. Anybody who's raising parents, or raising parents, whoops, raising kids, some of us are raising parents, I guess. When we're raising kids, we understand grace and mercy and try not to get them confused, right? And by the way, parents, don't go home today and flip the coin and go, What should I give you? Grace or mercy today? That's not nice. Don't do that. These words are prophetic. They articulate with certainty that there would be a God who is merciful to us. If you look hard in that first verse, you'll realize that this is a promise that Jesus is coming, a Messiah, a promised seed, a spring where God's mercy and the riches of his grace and his great love flows. The Old Testament longing for the Messiah, the New Testament grateful that the Messiah has come. And we look in this passage of Scripture and we could realize that nothing can be more desirable to the Old Testament saints that were shut up under the law until faith came in. If we read the psalm book, any time it points to the Messiah that would come, it reminds us of the fact that God gave us that promise and we've seen that promise come true. And what a privilege it is to be in the grace of God because of sending Christ. If you're here today, you don't have a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ. That's your first move to receive this grace, grace, God's grace, greater than all of your sin. Because once we enter into grace, look at what the second part of the first verse says. It says that God not only gives us grace, but his face shines upon us. The word face in the Old Testament is often translated presence. It's this anthropomorphism which gives God human attributes, human characteristics, so that we as finite human beings can try to wrap our mind around an infinite, incomprehensible God. So when we seek the face of God, or God's face shines upon us, we're talking about God's presence. So let's keep it in context. In Numbers chapter 6, ancient Israel could expect God's loving, gracious response if they called to him in faith. If they would trust the Lord, it would be well with their soul. However, God's people in the Old Testament, we realize, abandoned him. And so instead of their going to God, God came to them. You and I have all abandoned God in some way. And instead of God saying, run as far as you can away from me, he says, I'll run towards you with an accelerated pace. Praise the Lord, God is a faster runner than I am. Commentator Boyce says it like this. He says, a shining face is the opposite of a face, meaning a face, to turn around. A face turned towards someone is the opposite of a face turned away in disgust. A shining face implies favor and warmth. 
You have an ideal about who God is based off of your parents. You either had great parents or not so great parents, and so you either have a great view of God or a not great view of God. You have to write that in your head, that this God is turning his face towards us because of the grace that has been given to us. To have God's face shine upon us is the greatest gift that we could ever have. In Christ, God looks upon you. He is well pleased, not because of who you are, not because of what you have done, but because you are in Christ. If you are not in Christ, God's face is not upon you. And so it is a radical call for repentance. And for those who have repented, it's a great source of peace and power in life. Now, if I were you, I would circle that word Selah like seven times. Seven just sounds biblical. That's why I said it. Selah is this unique Hebrew word that is found 70 plus times in the Bible. In short, Selah means that you should do something that we are horrible at doing as Americans. You should... Pause, stop, and meditate on the words that were just spoken. A while ago, somebody came up to me and they asked me, they said, why do you take a moment of silence before the service starts? I said, well, because we're not good at taking moments of silence before anything starts. And so it is good for us to stop and to pause and to meditate or even reread what you just read. This is God's mercy. This is God's blessing. This is the approval of a shining face upon us. So what do I do with that? Well, the purpose of this prayer is that God's saving ways would be made known upon the earth. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, I'm going to let it shine. Now, what's funny is the littles get it, right? But we as adults are like, no, I like the bushel. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to stand behind the bushel. And if anybody rings my doorbell, I'm going to duck behind the couch. (laughs) We're good at being away from things. And we're like, I don't want to make anything known on the earth. Now, the psalmist is interesting here. He's saying not just Jerusalem, not Judea, not Israel, not Middle East, not Mediterranean world, the things that are close to him. He's saying on all hemispheres of this earth. Look at verse 2. It says, For if God's saving power is among all nations that save them, everybody needs to hear the message. Everybody needs to hear the truth. God wants us as believers to have the same heart and vision for the entire earth. Psalm 67 verse 2 links to Matthew 28. Go therefore and make, all, make disciples of all, what's the word? nations. What is your nation? You have a nation that has been entrusted to your care that is right in front of your face, but oftentimes we're hiding it underneath bushels. So we see the sinful world and we first of all long for them to be saved. How many of us have this mentality when we look at aunts, uncles, grandparents, uh, co-workers, family members, whoever it may be, longing that they would experience the salvation that we have received? This is a prayer for us to really look out and ponder and pray that God would come and shine his face upon them just as he has shown his face among us. God has blessed all people by shining his face upon us. Now, what's crazy is look at verse 3. It says, 
Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. That's repetition. Repetition in any biblical text is important. Let the nations be glad, singing for joy. Over 300 times in the biblical text it says to sing. If you are here today and you say, I don't sing, well, that's not good because that is a, a sin in the eyes of the Lord. Because God commands his people to sing. So anytime we fail to sing, we are sinning. That's another sermon for another day. For you judge the peoples with equity, and you guide the nations upon the earth. And there's that key word again, Selah. Verse 5. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. I feel like he already said that. Sometimes you have to repeat things because people forget things. And what is happening here is the psalmist wants us to wrap our mind around the fact that God accepts your praises. Now, if you're here today and you're like, I can't sing, God accepts those praises. That should encourage your heart, that he accepts our praises. The natural result of knowing what we know to be true in the first two verses is to praise. Now, praise can be song, but it can also be a lifestyle of worship. This is a prayer, twofold prayer. First part of the prayer, verse 3. A prayer that people would praise God, that they would get a little excited. Now, I know that's hard for us in Indiana for who we are, right? We get a little excited and we get a little nervous because we're like, uh-oh, I wonder if anybody's looking at me, all right? Newsflash, people are always looking at you, all right? It's not for us to be concerned about what people are looking at us. It's for us to be concerned about God's being excited about what we're doing. People lifting up their praises helps us better understand God's character and his ways. It's a repentance of sins, a turning from idols as we've been talking in Deuteronomy. May Christ be our only Savior and Redeemer in receiving the gospel and praising him with our words and our actions. The first part of verse 3 and verse 4 in this prayer is that the people would open their mouths, extend their hands and feet, and praise God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, and with all of their strength. And then he continues. Look at verse 4. He says, Then we bring all these nations, because of our praise, to himself. So people should be coming to know Jesus based off of your praise. Think about how many people in your life might not be coming to Christ because you're not a good representation of the gospel that you have received. That's convicting. That somebody's not coming to know Jesus because of the lifestyle that I've chosen that is in rebuttal to what God's word says. The nations, that's the entire world, would be glad and sing for joy because God was coming to judge the people with equity, which is the word fairness, and he would guide the nations upon the earth. In other words, Christ came first and he started the process, and then he's coming back again, which we call the second advent, to finish the process. You've heard me say it multiple times. God has two arms. The first arm of God is extending his hand to have people come into a relationship with him. He's saying, come on, you got to come. It's like almost the ark has been built and the door is going to close. Come on, you got to come in the boat. You got to come in the boat. Then the other arm is withholding his judgment. It's saying, not yet, not yet, not yet. At some point in history, it will be soon. Both hands will drop. 
And the offering of coming to God through a relationship with Christ will cease, and the judgment of God will come full throttle. Now, for us as believers, we're like, come, Lord Jesus, come, right? For people who don't know God, that's dangerous. But it is a fact, and it is going to happen. Jesus Christ will come and reign on earth. He will be the King of kings and Lord of lords. Whether you want to admit it now or later, you will still admit it. I'd rather be on this side of the coin. Our duty is to get the nations ready for it. This truth should make us passionate about our evangelism and edification efforts. It should make us passionate about the people in our life who do not know Christ as Savior and pray for them and meditate on God moving and working in their lives. And then we should build one another up. That's why we are called to Selah. So the second Selah comes. Pause. Stop. Ponder about this truth. This is worthy of reflection. It is a connection between being passionate about the return of Jesus and passionate about spreading the gospel. The idea was so important to the psalmist, he repeats it. Spurgeon said this about Psalm 67. He says, these words are no vain repetition. In other words, he doesn't do it just because. They're a chorus worthy to be sung again and again. We're called here to praise the Lord. Not gods of gold, not gods of silver, not the things that you have done. God accepts our praises, voluntary now, non-optional in the future. Questions. In what place will you praise the Lord for eternity? Will it be in his presence or will it be in his absence? What a glorious day that will be when people from every tribe and tongue will praise God for who he is and what he has done. This should cause us to move to worship. In the day, boy says, our joy will be even greater because of the great multitudes from all nations of the earth will be praising God with us. I have uh, to sit in uh, the third pew today instead of the first pew today because the first pew is populated by littles, right? And by the way, that's not my pew. That's just a pew that I chose to sit in. And I heard you singing, behold our God. Behold our God. And I thought to myself, how amazing that would be to sing it with thousands of people. And then I realized we went to this conference called the Sing Conference, and I heard thousands of people sing that. And it was amazing. And then at the Sing Conference, I thought, how great it would be to hear thousands upon thousands, if not millions of people sing that. And I want to be in that chorus because then, even though I can't sing, my voice will completely be drowned out. And we will all sing to the Lord. For his love endures forever. It is amazing here that he accepts our praises and we are so non-passionate about praising God with our words and our actions. Now, notice the second, uh, the last two verses. This is like the culmination of all things. This is, this is why the people should praise God. He says, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. And he repeats it again. He shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. What the psalmist is saying here is that God holds true to his promises, all of them. All the promises in God, of God are yes and amen. Now, it's believed that this psalm may have been written in a harvest season. Anybody know about harvest? 
all of us should know about harvest. As a matter of fact, I got this wrong for about seven years. I would look at a dear friend of mine and I would say, hey, how's the harvest doing? And it was snowing on the ground. And he looked at me and said, Jordan, you're an idiot. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, but neat. And then I realized I grew up in farmland and I was like, I am. I'm really, I'm, I'm pretty dumb. Like now I got it right. And every time I ask a farmer how the yield was from harvest, I feel really good about myself. Right? And every time I'm like, hey, you got your seeds in the ground yet? They're like, Jordan, it's February. And I'm like, just checking, making sure you're ready to put those seeds in the ground. <laughs> and they're like, grace, grace, pastoral grace. Okay? <clears throat> but if this was written in the harvest season, the abundance of an earthly harvest, it's, it's, it's believed that there was a good harvest this year. And it pointed the psalmist to an even greater harvest that was yet to come from the Lord. When the entire earth, those nations, as he says, would finally know God's way of salvation and praise him accordingly. It says in here, it says, the earth has yielded its increase. Now, you know the old hymn, what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus will sing and shout the victory. Yeah, some of us grew up in church, right? And that's exactly what he's talking about. This second coming of Christ when God's people, the earth, shall finally be converted to a state of worship and service. And at that time, God will finally take away his curse from the earth and cause it to yield abundance of all sorts of fruit. This, God's blessing us, is exactly the blessing that is promised under the Old Testament law to the people if they obeyed. <clears throat> So we praise the Lord because God has blessed us. God has blessed us. In verse 6 and into verse 7, the phrase is repeated twice to emphasize a double blessing. Once in an Old Testament confident expectation of God's promise to bless the earth through the coming of Christ, who is the seed of Abraham, into again the second coming of Christ to us as believers in the New Testament. Both of those are promises of God. One has come true one has yet to come true. Billy Graham says it like this. He says, the second coming of Christ will be so revolutionary that it will change every aspect of life on this planet. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that should change every aspect of your life on this planet because you're no longer looking at that which is earthly. You're looking at that which is eternal. Your eyes are fixated on the end. Your eyes are fixated on the second coming of Christ when he reigns in righteousness. Disease arrested, death modified, war abolished, nature changed. Now, all of those things that you just read should be all of the answers that you give the world on why do they happen. Why does disease happen? There's sin in the world. When does it end? When Christ comes back again soon. Why is there death in the world? Why did my loved one die? Why is there problems? Why is there pain? Because there's sin in the world. But one day, coming soon, it will be modified. Why are there wars in the world? Because there's sin in mankind. When does it become abolished? When Christ comes back again soon. Nature is changed. Man will live as he was originally intended to live. So what am I supposed to do in the time being? Well, Paul says it so clearly. He says... Therefore, as your spiritual act of worship, in Romans 12, offer yourselves up to God as your spiritual act of worship as living sacrifices. Live in such a way that Christ is honored and glorified with all you think, say, and do. Now, almost every hymn in your hymn book comes out of 
a psalm. And in Psalm 67, it's weird. There's not a lot of psalms that were written uh, because of Psalm 67. There's one by a man named Martin Luther. And his hymn is called, May God Bestow on Us His Grace. I asked Bethany to sing it, and she looked at it, and she said, Jordan, this is the weirdest hymn. I have no idea what it means. Like, I, I'm not singing that. And I said, please? She said, no, we're not doing that. And I said, okay, I love you. And in that psalm, even though we're not going to sing it, and the reason we're not singing it is because it's, it's written really weird, and it's kind of hard to sing. It would take a while for us to figure it out, and that's okay. It says this. It says, thine over all shall be the praise and thanks of every nation, and all the world with joy shall raise the voice of exaltation. And when we first started this message, I told you that the NFL has what is called a red zone. And in the red zone, it's interesting, it's right before they get to the touchdown. I believe it's the 20-yard line. When you get to the 20-yard line, you, you go. Now, a buddy of mine, he loves football. And he has this thing on his phone that only cuts to the red zone. He doesn't watch like regular games. He watches like just the red zone. So it's amazing because it's all like the good plays. It's, it's like when you just get into the red zone. And as I was watching him watch the red zone the other day, I thought, isn't that how we as believers are supposed to live? As if we are in the red zone. As if we are anticipating that there might be this touchdown. As if we we're anticipating that there might be this, this score, that this could change the entire game. And so what happens is when somebody gets in the red zone, we pull all the people like we used to in the 90s after the commercial was over, right? And we pull them in. We're saying, hey, the show's back on. The show's back on. You got to come down here. And you would hear like run down the stairs, you know, or whatever. Hey, the, the, the play's going to be, they're going to score. They're going to get in the end zone. That's how you should live your life as a believer. Knowing full well that you're in the red zone. Because Jesus says himself, he says, I'm coming back again soon. That's like a good dad on a long car ride. And you lived in constant anticipation that at any moment, this pain and anguish with your sister in the backseat of your car could be over at any second. That's exactly how we live our lives as believers. And this psalm, Psalm 67, is the culmination for us as believers to be encouraged in Christ. It uplifts us when we have pain, when we have disease, when we have death, when we have war, when we have all of these crises in our lives. We live in the red zone because at any moment it will be done over, finished because Christ is coming back again soon. Let me pray for you. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Psalm 67 just encourages my heart because I look out and I see this world in pain. I see people dealing with problems and hardships. And I'm reminded of the fact that you, our God, are glorious. And you have blessed us in a relationship with Jesus Christ through faith and trust. If you're here today and anxiety weighs you down and you find yourself just at a loss... At the bottom, maybe life's not going well. Maybe the marriage isn't going well. Maybe the workplace is not going well. Maybe the kids aren't doing what you want them to do. Or maybe you don't even know what to do with the kids. Maybe, just maybe, it's because you have not entered into a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ. 
And the first movement for those of us who are far from God is to come to God in a relationship through faith and trust in Christ. In a few moments, we're going to take communion. And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's a little white book in front of your pew that you can open up. It's the gospel. It outlines how you can confess your sin and believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. That God will enter into a relationship with you. (laughs) But Heavenly Father, a lot of us have made that decision today. And a lot of us are going our own way. And so we need to realign and we would ask that your way may be known upon the earth. That we would be passionate for the people who are far from you to share the gospel with them. To live a life that is worthy of praising you. May your praise be continually upon our lips and upon our fingertips. God, help us to praise you. We understand that the earth is going to yield its increase And that you have already blessed us, but you're going to bless us one more time at the second coming of Christ. And we pray, come Lord Jesus, come. And and while we wait, we offer ourselves up as living sacrifices. We love you, Lord. Help us trust and hold true to your promises. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church Podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.